Welcome to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton, and we got a buck down, folks. Late October, Mr. A-Rod killed a buck, and uh, there's definitely photos and video, actually. Uh, we, we're doing these semi-lives, so check out the YouTube channel for, for kind of some, some semi-live format videos that we've been doing. Wanted to jump on the mic, give you guys a podcast centered around the Whitetail Rut, and probably a public land focused whitetail rut, or maybe a run and gun mobile whitetail rut is probably what I'm going to only speak about. And give some some tactical thoughts, give some gear advice, give some overall structure and hunting. To, you know, just general rut. I mean, it's November first as of tomorrow. October is come and gone, which is crazy. Like the second best month of the year is gone, and I almost love or look forward to October more because it's like. The significance of fall is here. Bow hunting season is full swing at that point across the Midwest. Uh, the the leaves are changing. The corn's turning. Like October symbolizes fall to me. <clears throat> Football's on TV. You know, there's so many things, and it's over. And that's that's a depressing thought. And I didn't shoot an October buck, which is always a goal of mine. Uh, <laughs> full disclosure. Uh, we'll talk about Andy's buck on another podcast too. I do want to mention that, but I want to have Dave and Andy on. One, Dave is way funnier than I am. He tells a way better story. So we got to have him on. He's animated. You guys seem to like him a lot more than, than myself. Uh, but as far as my season, dude, I am 24 hours behind several bucks that might be the biggest on my wall. Like, I'll hunt a spot or whatever, check the trail cam. Oh, shit, I, I was 12 hours off. I was 24 hours off. Literally pulled a cam on a scrape on Friday morning. Had two studs in daylight within the last four or five days on the scrape. I hunted that scrape three days in a row, kind of the old Steve Shirk method. Now, true, I didn't get to hunt them all day just due to family life. But I hunted, let's see here, a morning, an evening, and I did have like a six-pointer read the script. Dude, this ambush location was money. I don't know if you guys caught it on my Instagram. But I literally had the six-point come down the scrape line. I tucked myself in like six foot off the ground. I had a beech tree behind me and a beech tree in front of me. So it's like a tree fort situation. And could have smoked him. Now, he looked dead at me, but he was dead to rights at that point. And with all the beech tree limb cover, uh, I've got the cover to make the draw happen. But, dude, uh, it is a glorious ambush location for West Winds. Oh, should note this. Anybody hunting hill country? One, I've got a hillside where the wind traditionally only blows to the south. Don't know why. Weather app will say north. Weather app will say west. It doesn't matter. For whatever reason, that hillside system is blowing straight, straight south. Note of choice. Today, going into this ambush location, thermals in the bottom two-thirds are pulling downward in the morning approach. I get to the upper third, and I've seen this happen another time and noticed it. It blows true uh, what the weather app says, or it blows lit in, in at this point. So as I approach, the wind thermals are pulling everything down the hill. Let's call that east. I get to the upper third, and it blows straight west in the dark. The, 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 the thermal pool just wasn't great enough. And I think that's because I come up a drainage dish with some water uh, perspiring downward. Note this too, not to get off on a tangent, but nobody talks about this enough. The, the hill country guy hunting after rains or in and around rains, it is awful. I fell no less than eight times this weekend, like soaked my pants, 
muddy butt as I'm baseball sliding down the hills. Can't get traction to come up the hills. I fell and threw my bow today on the route in. I tried to grab a tree. The tree was dead and it snapped. Um, not talked about enough. Doesn't look like Mark Drury's hunts. I, I never see those guys falling on their ass 700 times in a, in a morning. At one point, actually going to check the original trail cam, I was climbing this hillside and got into this crevice ravine system because I'm not super familiar with where I'm hunting. I, I, this is uh, like a new new piece of uh, public for me. And uh, I get into this crevice, and I'm like, dude, I can't get out. I got to backtrack my way out of here. I, I couldn't climb. Generally, you know, you can get up stuff uh, that's steep, just kind of you, you, you billy goated or, or army crawl. And it was so slick because of the rain. Couldn't do it. So anyways, yeah, I, I, I thought I'd pass along some of that, but let's talk about the rut, and and as far as gear is concerned, I think I'm going to start there, then we'll go tactical-wise, and then we'll kind of go big picture. I did just do a real quick short YouTube video on three keys to the rut. Let's start there, then we'll go to gear. And first would be time and time on stand. Right now, it's almost like a volume shooting type affair. You want to be in the stand as much as possible, and you want to have the ability to keep putting time in. Don't burn yourself out in three or four days, and then you're not hunting hard for two weeks. I think that's a key. And I think having multiple ambush points to keep hunting. Like if you have a 20-acre track, yeah, you kind of need to tiptoe in October, but now is time to hunt the, the piss out of it and and get in there. So... I think having the the time off, and I, I would say this too, I'm a morning fan, um, and I'm a fan of sitting at least till 11, 12 o'clock if you're only sitting mornings. I see a lot of that movement in that, oh, let's call it 8 to 9, 10, 11 o'clock time frame, just bucks on their feet looking for the does. Uh, number two, let's talk about mental toughness. Not talked about enough in bow hunting, 100% very overrated it is easy to go for one hard hunt like during october generally guys aren't taking pto and it is easy to pack in a stand and go for this crazy ass hunt on a saturday evening or a saturday morning when you're coming back to the family or the next day you maybe can't hunt due to other x y and z kids soccer game uh girlfriend's family's got an event going on bottom line it's very easy to hunt hard one day it is not as easy to hunt hard multiple days but you live for this time you know you'll watch some sort of youtube video that gets you all hyped up about shooting a giant buck in the middle of the rut and that's easy to watch and be all hyped up but you you know to do that on day five of, of five or you haven't seen a deer in three days if you're hunting the big woods like myself you gotta keep pushing and you gotta keep going and the other kind of final concluding thought I guess uh, around the rut and guys that separate themselves we all know you got to be able to close it separates a lot of people in business in sports especially the ability to close we all know the guy that's an all-american at the the high school open gym basketball practice or, or on the pickup soccer field whatever but you put him in a game and yeah he, he's like middle of the pack I think that that's something in bow hunting that happens a lot. Guys got to be able to close. You got to be able to execute. When was the last time you shot your bow? How many people shoot their bow all summer, uh, October 1 hits, and they don't even shoot on a weekly-ish basis? And I'm talking, you don't need to be cranking out arrows, I feel. But 
you know, go in the backyard, shoot you six, seven arrows. And I heard something on the Deer Hunter podcast with Bo Martonic. They were discussing, I think this is, uh, it was a sticking point with somebody like myself. And that was shooting these bow hunting whitetail yardages, 17, 20s, elevated sets, 30s. Bo mentioned he spends all summer shooting these long bomb ranges because he's going on a West guy. And, and anybody knows Bo's brand. Yeah, that's Eats Meese West. And he said, you know, I think for whitetail hunting, I need to do some very like whitetail hunting specific practice. He, uh, if you've listened to his podcast, uh, he missed a deer at, at 17 yards out of the saddle or something like a chip shot. And he goes, honestly, I didn't get up and elevate my stand and shoot those white tail distances. And, and, you know, myself, I'm very guilty of, I shoot a lot of between 30 and 40 in the backyard because I've got targets just laid out there already. Um, and I shoot some in between distances. I, I will say I do a good job of shooting like 23 yards and knowing my pin gaps. But I don't necessarily shoot a lot of inside 25. And honestly, I think I've killed 85% of my deer inside of 20 yards. Actually, I think 90. Damn. So I thought that was worth mentioning. But the ability to close, the ability to make the shot, to focus, to execute... It, it probably separates a lot of bow hunters. And, I, and so those three things, and if you look at your opportunity rate, the rut is when we get our chance to pull the bow back and let it rip. So you mentally know, like, look, I'm going to have an opportunity if I hunt hard for the next 10 days, 5 days, 17 days, whatever you got into this rut, you're, if you, you know, if you believe in yourself, you're going to have that opportunity. And are you ready for it? It's a mental thing. Uh, it's a little bit of practice preparation, being able to make the clutch shot. Let's talk gear. Let's transition. I can pivot hard on this podcast because it's a solo podcast. I'm going to take a swiggins of, I'm drinking these blue moon lights. Um, definitely a a new beer for me. I kind of like them. Hold on one sec. Check out our YouTube channel. This, This is sponsoring this podcast delicious okay so let's talk gear any specialized gear you're using for the rut i would say i need to locate my other oh shoe boot cover cut mitten cut sock uh, technique i have a very famous youtube video a lot of other podcasters have quoted my video uh literally check it out but it slides over, we wear a lot of hiker boots, and your toes get cold. Toes are like crippling in the stand when those get cold. Fingers and toes, right? Well, fingers, I generally put my hands like up my shirt onto my stomach and, and let them heat up naturally, and it kind of like resets them. It, it kind You got to bear and like grit your teeth, you know, to get through it sometimes, but it like heats them up. Obviously, if you got hand warmers, great, but sometimes... The, the, you know, the hand warmers have died for the day and you got to stick your hands all the way up your shirt and really warm them up. But the, the toes, we experimented with this, I don't know, four or five years ago at this point and putting a cut hunting sock, wool sock over our hiker boots. We thought it was placebo, but it works. Separating those toes from the toe box allows you to stay in the stand longer, feels warmer. They make some products. The Arctic Shield boot covers don't pack as good, but they're a great product, and I use those late season for sure. But worth mentioning. Other gear items that become important to me, uh, body and hand warmers. So I need to check my stash, maybe make an order to Amazon. But uh, I like the body warmers. I put them on my kidneys, like which is like your low back above your tailbone split, you know, each side of your body. I think there's something to do with blood flow and movement and... 
I don't know. You'd have to go ask somebody with a, a medical degree of some sort or knowledge. But, you know, to keep the body flowing. And then I generally put one on my chest sometimes when it, when it's super, super cold. And honestly, I zip that puffy vest up over all that. And I'm just trying to create a little more self-heat. Like, I know they make those uh, heated type vest products. And I'm all about staying warm. But I think for a packability factor... A couple body warmers and a puffy type vest probably is a better source for the mobile run and gun style uh, that, that I'm doing. Uh, another key gear type item I want to mention uh, is one of those Cliff Energy Shots. If you saw, I think I did mention these in either a rut prep podcast or video or both. But there's 100 mg's of caffeine, which I think a cup of coffee is somewhere around 85 to 90. So about 100... Uh, MGs and you know you can you can take that boost midday mid morning whenever you need it and it's like literally two ounces of goo and so you can suck it down super quick super easy which is nice uh, it's quick and easy consumable it's not a large liquid you don't need a thermos or, or any sort of vessel so it packs nice solid option there trying to think of any other rut items that I use uh, I'm a big fan of any sort of puffy vest or I wish I had some maybe quieter puffy uh, bibs. I have an ambush, a Predator ambush jacket that is a quieter uh, puffy type insulation piece. I really like how quiet it is. It's not as loud as some of the other puffies. Right now, I, I generally rock a, a micro fleece outer layer with a puffy underneath. Uh, would be very interested if anyone knows of some puffy pants that maybe zip or some puffy uh, bibs that are a little quieter. Uh, that's something I would definitely want to know. Other gear items like maybe a thicker neck gaiter. Not a lot of people know this, but the neck is like a oh portal to the body is what the I think um, Asian culture talks about it. And so when your neck gets cold, you actually like, it resonates throughout the body a little more. So definitely a neck gaiter, or if you're a hood guy, probably a good idea, but a thicker one of those. I, I generally have a, a lighter one that I use for, for now time frame. Uh, went for a hunt actually this morning, was severely underdressed. You know, I'm not a guy that likes to wear thermals on my legs just because they heat up so fast climbing the hills. And this morning I went for a hike in just like some some lighter to mid-type pants and no thermals underneath, and it was like 47. And then the wind picked up, and I just got a little chilly. I should mention this too as far as my run-and-gun style with hunting the rut or, or more layers. I generally pack in in a thermal top or like a wool merino wool type top and hiker pant bottoms and i'll hang my whole stand in the camera arm or whatever and they'll come down to the base of the tree and sometimes i'll pause for a couple minutes if i really need to but at least then all my hard work is done in my more athletic style clothing gear at that point and then at the base of my tree especially morning hunts we're talking i'll go ahead and get dressed you know, I'll put the bibs on, I'll put the jacket on, I'll even put like my binos on at that point before I climb back up in the stand. One, I don't want to be Mickey Mouse in the stand. Why not organize myself at the base of the tree where I'm on, you know, if, one, if I fall, I'm only falling a, a foot to the ground uh, versus 20 foot up in the air. But my, I can lay my backpack on the 
on the ground. I can grab the rangefinder, put the bino harness on, stuff a hand warmer in my pocket. I try to get organized on the ground. It's a lot easier and quicker. Then I go up to the top of the tree and I got minimal jack around up there. I can probably just use a red headlamp at that point and get set for the morning hunt. So I do go twice. And I think if I wasn't filming early season, I could get away with going once. But to me, it's not worth, oh, let me make two trips. And I'm not a big fan of two uh, tow ropes. They'd probably just get tangled all to hell with all the stuff I hunt anyways. Um, I will say a huge advantage to hunting low. A lot of times you can literally reach your bow up and put it in your uh, bow type holder that, that's on your stand if you've got one and, and not even need a tow rope at that point. So wanted to mention that for sure. As far as a any other rut type items, something I do want to touch on. Let me take up Swiggins. Grab another. Something else I want to touch on is some of the preparational items that goes into hunting the rut or, or hunting multiple days in the rut. And this is not talked about enough. But it's like Dave's real big on this. He goes, okay, so if you're going to wake up at 3 in the morning and, and try and get out the door at 3.20, you know, to minimize your time, you got to have all your shit prepped. You know, you, you leave the bow in the truck uh, in your driveway potentially if you live in an okay-ish neighborhood or out in the country where no one's messing with it. Uh, you know me, I got the jet sled in the back. I got the clothes there. Uh, stand, sometimes I actually put in the shotgun seat. You know, I don't want anybody walking off with that. So I generally put that in the shotgun seat and lock the vehicle. Uh, that way, when I wake up in the morning, I also have the coffee prepped. I will say pro tip right here, if you're not stopping at a gas station, but some sort of Jimmy Dean heatable breakfast sandwich that you pop in the microwave for, you know, 60, 90 seconds and you're out the door, that's an easy go-to for the rut. You can buy a 12-pack or whatever. That is is golden. Prepping your coffee machine the night before, I'm saying fill that thing with water. If you got a K-cup machine, yeah, you might have to do uh, two runs before you get out the door. Maybe if you're a heavy drunk, coffee drinker, three or four. But having that thing literally, so all you got to do is push a power button could be key. Laying out the clothes. I'm not somebody who's super worried about scent control. So so having my stuff like and touching it, I, it doesn't bother me at all. My headlamps in my bag bags in the truck the only thing i bring in and out a lot is my camera bags obviously that's you know a little bit more a higher dollar value item to sit out overnight plus a lot of times i got a charge battery or maybe uh swap an sd card something of that nature but that's key the other thing going into the week i had mentioned the food prep as far as the breakfast sandwiches um but also the grocery run here November 1st. Maybe you go grab a couple extra bar items, some some cliff shots. Anything that you're going to take in and out for lunch is, is worth maybe grabbing a little bit extra. And then this week I've done some food prep as far as uh, some crockpot meals. I threw some venison roast in there so I can easily heat up a, a quick you know 90 second rice or venison roast. Boom, I'm good to go for, for a quick meal coming home. I will say this, if you're doing a lot of driving, you do not want to get the the evening night sleepies and um, you know stop and get your big old Arby's sandwich at the start of your drive home. If you're driving an hour, 45 minutes or whatever, two hours, it don't matter. You do not want to get the sandwich in your belly first thing after a hunt. Get home or get close to home. Get 15 minutes out, then stop and grab your 
your whatever dinner type food you're you're gonna have. Frozen pizzas are another really good one to have for the rut. It's it's a high calorie type item. You can throw it in the oven when you get in the door, grab you a quick shower, prep some gear, boom, 15, 20 minutes has gone by, that thing's ready. Pull that out of the oven, cut it up and eat it, go to bed. Because you're trying to get max rest. The the biggest factor in a lot of what Dave and I do, one, you, you got these long drives in the mornings potentially, and it's like it's one of those that we could camp down there, but that you need a little extra jack around. And it's a lot of times our trips are broken up where I can hunt for two days and then maybe I got to be at home a half day and then I can get back after it. And it's one of those things too. Do you get a little bit better rest sleeping in a good bed and you come home to you know your house? It, it's one of those that, that's a tricky line that we do sometimes do some deer camps, but it's like we're almost better off to just make the drive. Costs a little more in gas, kind of sucks. But, you know, uh, speaking to, 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 you know, having everything prepped, some of these meal items definitely going into the week can help. I'm actually going to cut this segment in post-production work. I never do that on a podcast. Let's, uh, I just talked about food and stuff like that, but water intake is also something that is not mentioned enough for the mobile hunter, the guy hunting hard and just raw distance, you know, you're covering day in and day out and, I, I take water during the rut, obviously, for my all-day sits, but I also try and drink, uh, I drink my coffee generally right away on the morning drive, and I try and drink, you know, anywhere between 16 to 20 ounces uh, before I get to my spot. Yeah, I got to pee all day, but I'm just trying to, like, be able to keep hunting hard, keep going after it. I know Andy has suffered from leg cramps before where, uh, making hunting hard multiple days gets difficult. And then at the end of the day, I generally have a full Nalgene 32 ounces. I try and drink that whole thing on my drive home, uh, before I even would, you know, have any liquid with a a meal. And they say a lot of times with athletics and sports, it's not necessarily the hydration on the day of the game that makes a huge difference, but it's a lot of the 48 hours prior. So constantly, you know, increasing your water intake can help. And I think something like 90% of the human population lives life uh, in a dehydrated state. So that's that's something that I think has helped me separate um, and just continue to grind and hike hard and, and hunt hard is, is really I'm, I know a little bit about some of that nutritional stuff and hydration is, is definitely something you want to consider. I think let's move on to some some tactical, some hunting type thoughts. You know, I am still going to hunt some scrapes for the next couple of days. Somewhere around November 3rd, 4th, 5th, I will probably transition. And I don't have the best bead on the does currently where I hunt. I'm hunting at least. Now, I do have some back pocket plays. I know some historical places that maybe heat up. Last year... I know this farm piece of public. I had a doe run through November 2nd. I had like 8 to 10 bucks over the next 48 hours coming through that piece. Uh, if I was not ingrained in what I'm doing, I would definitely go hunt that tomorrow if I didn't have any beads and if I just didn't have any information. That being said, historical doe drags a buck by you even if it's a four-point. Maybe worth keying in on that doe group. I particularly know a doe group that heats up right around the 13, 14, 15. Zoe, for example, is going to uh, hunt his mom's piece that, for whatever reason, November 2nd, them does get, get, you know, one of them gets hot and there'll be like six bucks on the on a like eight acre piece. So it, it's crazy that 
you know, if you know some some information about some does, it's definitely worth keying in on. Uh, but yeah, myself still gonna hunt some scrapes the next few days, and then I will begin to dive into more of a doe bedding, uh, terrain feature type hunts. You know, I know where some does are currently bedding on the piece, but that's where I'll transition. And that's where I'll look for long lines of movement will get condensed down into X. And that'll be just the, the, the transition there. I don't think there's much, you know, out there as far as some crazy off-the-wall strategy. It's not like I'm putting a stand up 80 yards from a bedded buck. And so, so yeah, I'm literally hunting does. I'm trying to just put my, my ass in the stand. And as far I don't do any calling. I don't do much for sense. I did, uh, we did cut the, uh, oh, the hawks off of uh, Andy's buck that he just harvested. And, and Dave and I put some of those into sandwich bags. And, and so I, I actually used one of those today thinking if I have a buck come down this scrape line trail, I'm seven yards off it. And I put it on the, oh, so that hopefully that buck would look the opposite way for me looking for a buck maybe uh downwind of him upwind of him whatever he would be able to smell where that hawk was coming from and maybe be looking that way and i would be on his opposite side getting to full draw uh, anyways so so that's a couple of my thoughts um i don't i don't really call either dave will call a lot more and has had way better success calling had to get a swiggins there um I, you know, as far as stand locations that I really like, I've talked about this, I think, on other podcasts, but a combination factor where maybe I've got some edge-type habitat, meets a terrain feature, and there's doe bedding within the vicinity. So now I've got three things working for me instead of just one. Maybe you've got, you know, a hog back, which is, you know, an erosion-type cut in a hillside mixed with a thicket and it, it all gets condensed down now you've got two really good things going for you that i do tend to hunt leeward ridges i've seen you know and harvested a few bucks cruising and a few times i've had encounters where maybe the doe is bringing the buck by me and i don't i'm trying to think i think i shoot a lot of these bucks kind of cruising and looking and bebopping one of the craziest things i've seen is is i've watched does go into a doe bedding area a buck picked me up out of a tree stand. Like, kind of saw something funky he didn't like. He hit one of them does, and he came right down the same trail. So, knowing if a if a buck crosses a track, he's very likely to come down that trail and, and poke around and check things out, I think is something worth mentioning. Um, I had thought that that particular hunt was over and, and was able to get an arrow in him. I think that's about it for the whitetail rut. I don't think it's overcomplicated. I think it comes down to a couple of those three factors I talked about earlier. Um, this is where a lot of your off-season scouting pays in. Uh, I, you know, I've got pins that I had dropped in the off-season based around rut information. You know, uh, rub lines, scrape lines, doe bedding that I'm going to go hunt. And I, I think I am guilty in years past of maybe giving up on a stand site a little too soon. I think I was so hip to the, uh, let's move, let's move, let's move. And during the rut, I think if you listen to some of the Bobby Worthington, the Steve Shirk stuff, 
that you can ride out a stand and, and create that opportunity. And, and I think that's worth mentioning. I I've shot one buck where I hunted four different trees, 40 yards apart and all on the same ridge system and was able to make it happen. And, um, yeah, that's being mobile, but if I'd have picked the right kill tree, I probably could have hunted that same kill tree all four times and had the same result. But I think that's something I'm, I'm keying in on, uh, as we speak, especially if you're hunting those, those big woods or more of a hill country where you got to wait it out, you know? So wishing you guys the best out there for the whitetail rut, wanting to get something out. Uh, maybe you're you're going on a drive or whatever, and, and this will get you through 20 minutes or so. But uh, wishing you guys the very best. Use that hashtag hard bucks too. I like to I follow that. I like to see what you guys are into, and I appreciate the support. Team Harder Bucks, we're out. Before I leave, I did want to mention that we uh, well we're kind of working with the OKS Hunter crowd, Greg Tubbs, and a few of those guys. Uh, but they are hunting some public ground. Uh, in a few states and we're actually featuring that on our youtube channel uh, they're hunting illinois wisconsin maybe another state like indiana uh, but it's it's something that i wanted to mention on here that we're, we're kind of uh collabing with those guys greg tubbs and i've been friends for several years and always wanted to do some sort of film type project i i've asked him to film for the team forever but uh wishing you guys the best now team harder and bucks we are out